Good morning and welcome to church. Better a day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. Let's pray and ask God for help. Our gracious and loving Father in heaven, we worship and we honor your holy name. We thank you for it's a privilege to be in your presence, you who are the maker of heaven and earth. So even as we worship you this morning, Lord, I stand before you and before your children. I pray that you use me mightily for the glory and honor of your name. Speak to your children, Lord, in the way that all of us will understand. I decrease and you increase, O God. And at the end, your name alone be glorified. Thank you for doing more than we have asked. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bible, if you wish, to the book of Exodus. And you may like to listen to the reading of the word of God. We take our reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, from verse 8 to 16. Exodus, chapter 17. We commence reading from verse 8 through to verse 16. This is the word of God. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11 now. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were, steadily on, were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the years of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Verse 16. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord, and we pray God will add blessings to the reading of his word. This morning, uh, God will be speaking to us through a topic that says, Unity brings victory. Unity brings victory. Now, 
before we go into some subheadings that we have, it's good to have a background knowledge of what really happened because if we see in our text the passage we read right now, we see almost four peoples are mentioned there and then we see a kind of contribution from different individuals working towards achieving a particular goal. So before we go on to that, it's good to have a background knowledge of what really happened that led to bringing these individuals to work together. Nouns are... We we answer this by looking at our first heading, which is saying, Amalek attacked Israel. Nouns. We will want to know who is Amalek and then what really happened. If you read, we're not reading it for the sake of time, but if you read at your own convenient time the book of Genesis chapter 36, you will find the history of who Amalek is, the lineage of Amalek. And in short, Amalek was a son of somebody called Eliphaz. And Eliphaz was a son of Esau. So we can say that Amalek was a grandson of Esau. That's very important, right? And then it says, uh, our first sentence says, Amalek attacked Israel. Who is Israel? Yes, we might have know who Israel is, but it's good to remind ourselves. Still, when we trace back in the Bible, book of Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, downward, particular uh, chapter, uh, verse 28, you will find that uh, when Jacob was leaving his father Ilulavan, running, and then he came to a point where he had an encounter with God in the form of man, and he wrestled with, with that uh, entity until the breaking of the day. And when that man wanted to leave, Jacob said, no, you must bless me. And he asked, what is your name? Jacob said, my name is Jacob. He said, no, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but you will call Israel. So whenever we see Israel in the Bible, it's referring to Jacob. So we have two, these two nations, Amalek and Israel. Amalek attack Israel. We can say Esau attacking Jacob. And then from our Bible knowledge, we know that these Esau and Jacob, they are two nations that even from whom they were in enmity with each other. So if we say, who is Amalek, and we, the right answer from biblical, from where we have seen is, Israel are children of God, and then Amalek is an enemy of the children of God. Amalek is the enemy of Jacob, enemy of Israel, so Amalek is the enemy of the children of God. So look at it, why would Amalek attack Israel? Now, we know that Israel's or Israelites were on their journey from Egypt to Canaan. God called Moses to go and bring them out from the hands of Pharaoh. So they were on a journey from a land of slavery to a land of promise. How does that relate to us today? We'll be going with the applications hand in hand. We are called children of God. God calls us from the day that you 
accept Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you surrender your life unto Christ, you embark on a journey like the children of Israel. So we are pilgrimage and we are moving to what? To the promise of God. We are aliens on earth. So Christians are on a journey to the promised land. Our promised land is not Canaan, but the day that the Lord appears or the day that we return to him, we reach our promised land. So we, were in, we, we are rightly on a journey, the way they were on a journey. And they face different types of attacks, different types of challenges, so also we are facing. So we have to have this in mind. It sounds a bit bad news, but the good news will follow. So bear in mind that we are on a journey, and the way they were attacked, the enemy of God is also on alert to attack you and I. As a Christians, then we will ask, do we have an enemy as the children of God? Since the Israelites, they had so many enemies, do we have an enemy? And we don't want to answer this question using our head knowledge, that we don't bring our own understanding. We use scripture to understand what God's will is for us. If you read 1 Peter verse 5, or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the answer is, whoever asks me as a Christian, do I have an enemy? I say yes. Who is your enemy? The devil. The devil is the enemy of the believer. The devil is the adversary of every Christian. And the devil is on mission. The way different nations were on mission to stop the Israelites from reaching the promised land. The devil knew from the beginning that Judgment has been already passed to him. He knew where he would spend eternity. And he knew anyone who surrendered his life unto Christ, where that person will spend eternity. So the devil is on a mission to stop you and I from reaching the what? The promised land, which is not Canaan. The way Amalek wanted to do. Not only Amalek, if you read the history of the Israelites, they faced so many attacks. So the devil may come in different way. And he is on a mission, waging war on believers. And his mission is clearly stated in the book of John 10.10. 10. He cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. That is the mission of the enemy. And to kill what? To, to, to kill our peace in Christ to destroy our faith in Christ, and to steal the joy that we have in our salvation. That is what the enemy does. It's good to, to, to have this. As Kevin was praying, back home there, you see it in different forms. You see the way the enemy attacked the church, the way the enemy attacked believers. And all that he wants is to just destroy. And glory be to God, the worst that the enemy will do is to what? Is to destroy this mortal body. But he has no power over the soul. 
whatsoever he will do, the final thing that the terrorists will do is to slaughter this body with their sword or the gun, but the soul within, they have nothing over it. They have no power over it. And the soul must return to the giver of the soul. So that is the confidence that we have in Christ. Whatsoever the enemy will do, he has limit over us. So this is the first heading that we have. Amalek attacking Israel. Devil attacking children of God. Devil attacking the church in different ways. It's good we have this background knowledge. It sounds a bit uh, of good news, uh, bad news, but our subsequent subheadings, we have our good news there by the grace of God. And this leads us to our second heading, which says Moses on the top of the hill. Moses on the top of the hill. Verse 9 to 10, from where we have taken our reading. Now, verse 9, it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us and go out, choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Let's stop here. Moses on the top of the hill. You can imagine an enemy attack, and then it's time to go for a battle. Someone is saying, you pick some men, go and face the enemy. I will be going to the top of the hill. It may sound somehow contradicting that you are not supporting us, or maybe you're just trying to spare your life. <laughs> maybe, or you, you are just being smart when you see that uh, we, we, we are winning the battle, you may join, and then if we are not winning the battle, you may just find your way out. But this is the leading of the Holy Spirit, the leading of God Almighty. Moses was a shepherd. Moses was called to be a shepherd. And then if you, if you see where we have taken these two verses, he said, I will be on the top of the hill with what? With the rod of God or the staff of God in my hands. Remember the call of Moses? When Moses was called, the only thing that God asked him to take is what? His staff and his rod. And before that staff will be taken, it's not that ordinary staff that Moses was having in the first place. It was a transformed staff because something happened before Moses will believe, will, will, have, will gather courage and confidence when God, God called him. He demonstrated something with the staff. He said, throw it, and it turned to something and said, hold it by its nail, yes, by its tail, and then he, he held it. And then it turned back to his staff. The staff was completely transformed, and the staff represents the power of God in the hand of Moses, the word of God in the hand of Moses. And even before that incident, Moses had used the staff in different ways. The staff was used in different ways to showcase the power of God in the presence of Pharaoh, in the desert while they cry for water, and so on and so forth. So Moses knew what the staff of God was in his hand. 
And no wonder he said, go and fight. I will be on the top of the hill with these two men and then holding the staff of God in my hand. I'm coming from northern Nigeria. We have a lot of shepherds there. You will see a cattle rearer, someone rearing cattle, more than a hundred cattle, one person controlling them with one staff in their hands. And this shepherd will, will be in the front, moving, and then the cattle will be following. And then, no matter how far that a, a single cattle is, if that cattle tries to misbehave, just raising that staff, you will see that cattle aligning in the queue. So, wrought in shepherd's hands, they are used to safeguard both the shepherd and his flock. That's one of the things that they use. Uh, they use with the rod or the staff in their hands. And also, a staff in shepherd's hand is used both as a defense and a deterrent against anything that will attack. So he defends himself. Let's say a, 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 a shepherd is, is going with his cattle, and yes, he used the staff to control the cattle, and then if anything comes out, anything comes out that wants to attack either the shepherd or his flock, he used this, this, this staff to what? To defend. So in the hands of Moses was his rod, and the rod represents God's power, God's word. Verse 11, it says, Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. It was getting tough. Remember, Joshua with the men are there in the battlefield, fighting with the Amalekites. Moses, Aaron, and Hur are there on the top of the hill. Moses holding his hands up with the staff in his hand. And whenever Moses' hand was up, Joshua prevailed. He's winning the battle. When the hands of Moses is coming down, lowering down, Amalek prevailed. And these two people, Aaron and Hur, observe what is happening. So let's, let's, let's take a look up at something here, practical application or something, how this is applicable. Now, from where we are taking our song this morning, Psalms 28, verse 1 to 2, the Bible says, To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Verse 2 says, Hear my voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. So Moses lifting up his hands on the top of the hill signifies praying to God. Moses was praying. Ezra did the same thing. In Ezra chapter 9 verse 5, it says, at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting. And having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees 
and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. So, lifting of hands signifies praying to God, worshiping God, surrendering unto God. That was what Moses was doing. And then the rod in his hand is the word of God or power of God, sending back the word of God, sending the word of God back to him. That is why when we pray and we use the word of God, the prayer touches the hearts of God. Because God respects his word more than anything you may think of. No matter how short the prayer is, that is why the knowledge of the scripture is very important when we pray. Send back his word to him and see if God will not act. Don't use your head knowledge, your grammar, your field of specialization to pray. Use the word of God. To, that was what Moses was doing, was sending back God's power to him, sending back God's words to him, that is lifting his hands, and, and his hands, the rod, which represents the power of God or the word of God. The question is, are you called by God to serve in one way or the other? And you have been attacked or you have been experiencing attack by the enemy in different forms. Are you called as a Christian? And then you, ex you are experiencing attacks by the enemy in different forms. I might not know the form, but the good news is God who called us is faithful. The way Moses called upon the name of the Lord, the way Moses lifted up his hands towards heaven, and then whenever his hands are up, Joshua prevailed. It's the same thing whenever we fall into trouble, temptation, attacked by the enemy, and we lift our hands, we lift our voice, we cry unto God. You will never know how the battle will be won. You will don't know how the enemy is defeated. But the enemy will continue to be under defeat. And that is why the Bible says, Call upon my name in the days of trouble, and I will answer you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So when the enemy attacks, what do we do as Christians? What do we do as believers? If we miss the point then we become prey in the hands of the enemy. Do we come together to pray? Do we come together to cry unto God? Do we come together to lift our hands, to send back God his words? God is faithful to his words. If we do it, God will intervene in our situations. But if, if we are doing something else, we are giving the enemy a what? A chance. An excellent chance to win, the way we saw it. Whenever Moses' hands were, were, were down, the enemy prevailed. So when we become weak in prayers, in, when, when enemy attacks, instead of coming together to pray and we just gang up and doing something else, we are just, remember that we are just giving the enemy chance to prevail. That's the word of God. He knew it. And he is on attack every now and then. We need to know our position. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what weapons God has provided us with. The word of God is our weapon. Send it back to him in prayers. And see if the enemy will prevail. God will never lie. 
Look at these two men, Aaron and Or, supporting Moses. Now, let me read verse 12 to 13. Something very important there. Verse 12 says, But Moses' hand grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Do you see? Unity that brings victory. They observe what is going on, and they say, what can we do? Can we leave Moses now to be struggling? His hands are up and he gets tired because he's human, subject to getting tired, yes. What can we do? These people, they refuse to stand and fold their hands. They refuse to go and just be doing something else that is not profitable, will not help towards defeating the enemy. They thought of something. And I believe that was the leading of the Holy Spirit. This fellow, this shepherd, yes, is called by God. None of them say, no, this is your business, this is your cup of tea, you have to carry your cross. No. They say, this is our own battle. We need to support this shepherd of God. Bring a stone, put it down. Let Moses sit on this stone. One held in one of the hands, the other held in the other hand. And then they lift Moses' hands, remain steady until the going down of the sun. And you know what, what is happening at the battlefield when Moses' hands were up. Joshua and his men keep prevailing, keep prevailing until Amalek was defeated, until the enemy was defeated. Unity that brings victory. Either Moses or, or either Aaron or Ho, one would have been hypocritical. Instead of raising the hands of Moses up, one would have worsened the situation by lowering it down. And you know what will result to? The enemy will what? Will, 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 will defeat the children of God. And this is what is expected of us as a church. If we know the mission of the devil, and we know that the devil is not at rest towards the church, then we will see the importance of coming together, supporting one another, holding the hands of each other towards defeating the enemy. Amen? It's very important. It's very important. God has given us the grace. God has given us the, the enablement. God has power over that. But he looks unto us. What are we doing? Do we come together? Do we support each other? Do we hold each other's hands up in prayer using the word of God? And still we see God not intervening. Or do we do something else? And if we do something else, the Bible is clear, it's true. The devil will prevail. But if we take our rightful position, the devil will continue to be put on defeat. It will continue to be defeated, as we saw in the case of Joshua and the men out there. In 
in Ephesians 6 verse 12, the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. As a believer, it's a waste of time attacking flesh and blood. It's a waste of time. We need to know our position. I mean, when, when, when you find yourself in the, where the real persecution, where the devil attacked the church, then you will value, you, you will know the value of coming together to pray together. And regardless, not, not looking onto individuals, but looking onto God. Because the devil doesn't mean good for the church. And as I said, if you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will see there are two pathways. The enmity has been established from day one. We cannot stop it. Nothing can stop it until Christ comes. Read your Bible, you will find these two pathways. Starting from Cain and Abel, Esau, Jacob, is described in different ways. Babylon, Jerusalem, true to the, to the New Testament, you will see narrow gates, wide gates. So one represents devil, one represents Christ. One represents eternal life, one represents eternal destruction. These two pathways are there from Genesis to Revelation. And the Bible said they are in conflict with each other. They will never agree until Christ comes. We need to, we need to get this right. There will never be peace between the devil and the church until Christ comes. The devil will continue to attack. Is there in the Bible? Now, our third heading, which is the last heading, is uh, where we have more of a good news. And this heading says, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Let me read verse 15 and 16. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That is what the Lord said. That is after the defeat now. After these people held and supported the hands of Moses, Joshua defeated the Amalekites. Perhaps not all of them were killed because we find in, 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 in 1 Samuel that uh, they might have been recreated. So maybe some few of them were able to flee, but the Amalekites were defeated. And then what Moses did is to build an altar. What those altar represent? In that scenario, or in other scenarios that we see in the Bible, altar, whenever you see Abraham built altars, Altar represents a place of encounter with God. Abraham had different encounters with God, and then he built an altar. So it's something very significant. Altar represents a place of encounter with God, represents a place of worship, represents a place of intercession. And then he built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. And that reminds us of what is in Song of Songs, 
the banner of God over us is, is love. His banner over me is love. So Moses called that altar, the Lord is my banner. We know what banner is, a piece of clothing that has a, a kind of bold written, uh, it, 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 you, yeah, you want to, like the football fans, you see, they, were, they, they carry their banners carrying the name of their team, so identifying something. So when I carry this banner, you know I belong to this club. So the banner of God over us is love. These children of Israel, they look unto Moses as a leader. If you read the Bible, you see whenever trouble comes, they look unto Moses. They call unto Moses, we need water. We are going to die. You brought us from Egypt to kill us in this desert. No food, no water. And whenever they look unto Moses, they disturb Moses, they even wanted to tear him down, Moses look unto God who called him. Now, Moses' hand lowering down signifies weakness. Moses was human. Moses has weaknesses. I and you, we have weaknesses. Shepherds have weaknesses. Pastors have weaknesses. Moses was not perfect, though he was faithful in his call. But still, he was human, and he has weaknesses. But he was supported. And the support he received led to the defeat of the enemy. Now, the good news is we have a great shepherd that is greater than Moses. That is in our own case. The Israelites, they look unto Moses. God, he has, God never left us unattended. When God calls us to, 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 to accept his, his, his message or his invitation of salvation, he never left us. He has provided a great shepherd that is more than, greater than Moses in all ramifications. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3a, I read, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, referring to us, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful in all his house. For this one, that is Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Amen. Moses was faithful, but we have a shepherd that is worthy of more glory than Moses. And now hear the words of this good shepherd. In John 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In John 10, 14, verse, in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In John 15, verse 7 to 8, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. 
this same great shepherd says in John 10, 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The last verse where we have taken our reading this morning, it says, the Lord, have war. the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Jesus is the great shepherd more than Moses. Imagine if mere men like Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and Hor will unite together and defeat the Amalekites, the enemies of God. And imagine if Moses as mere man will lift up his hand up to heaven and then the children of God will be defeated. And now we have a great shepherd who is intervening day and night, 24 hours by seven. He's a great shepherd whose hands never get tired. Moses' hand was getting weary and then slowing down and the enemy was defeating. We have a shepherd whose hands will never get tired. And he is not just sitting there folding his hands. The Bible says he is interceding on our behalf day and night. So the battle is not ours. We have someone, look at what Moses did. And it's what Jesus is doing day and night for you and I. Why? Because before he left the heart, he said it. He knew that I am leaving the world, but the enemy is there. He knew that the enemy is there. And he knew what the enemy does is now to accuse. The Bible says the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Day and night, the enemy reports the offenses of the brethren before God. He reports it. That is what happened with Job. Say, do you consider Job? He begins to bring accusation against Job. But Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, is there day and night interceding. So when the devil comes and says, do you observe this person is just doing the wrong thing? Jesus Christ will say, no. This one, I have already bought him with my precious blood. We are sealed. When you are sealed with the blood of Jesus, the battle belongs to God. And as it's written here, he said that the Lord will have war with the Amalek from generation to generation. If you want to see this, read First Samuel. You will find, I want to believe that by then, the Amalekites will have been multiplied. And then when God now called Saul through Samuel and sent Saul to go and kill the Amalekites again. And this reason is there that because the Amalekites attacked my children on their way from Egypt to Canaan. So the, 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 the battle over Amalekite is continuous one during the time of the journey of Israelites. The same thing with ours, as we say. The devil is on mission day and night to, to attack the church. Jesus Christ is there day and night to intercede. And as Christ intercedes, the enemy gets defeated. Then what is required of you and I is to what? To surrender our life unto these great shepherds. Because the great shepherd knows that if you are to face the enemy, 
you will be defeated. Even if you have something you are looking at, like they were looking at Moses, that entity that you are looking at has weaknesses. His hands or our hands will get tired. But here I am, the great shepherd, whose hands never get tired. The only thing is surrender your life unto him. And then that is it. The enemy will keep coming, will keep coming, and he will be defeated, defeated, defeated. And that is uh, our closing hymn when Kevin come up will lead us, we will see these wonderful words there. Say, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Where we have taken our reading. It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also reason who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. He will continue to have war with the Amalek from generation to generation. If mere men will unite and defeat the enemy, you can imagine if you and I will unite in Christ. What havoc will the kingdom of darkness suffer? So the enemy will continue to attack the church. But the Bible has told us what to do. And we pray God will give us the grace to do that so that this word of God will not stand against us, against us on the day of judgment. Let's pray to God. Our God and our Father, we thank you. We thank you and we thank you. This is your word. Please, God, forgive us where we introduce our own knowledge. It's never our intention. But we pray for your grace. Please, Lord, have mercy on us where we have gone wrongly, where we have devised our own ways of solving things and completely different from what your word has taught us. Grant unto us the grace, O God, to put your word into use. Thank you for doing more than we have asked. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I will invite Kevin to lead us in the closing hymn as well as the 